Is this, is this on? Yes, my lord. Good, good. <clears throat> Hello, this is God speaking. Can we dial that down? Yes, my lord. Thanks. Welcome, new arrival to the Eternity Ward. Please take a number and make your way down to the left or the right to the waiting room. All you need is there the refreshments I made just for you. <laughs> I would tell you to steer clear of the apples, they're forbidden, um, and the two snakes. <clears throat> I mean, fools, sorry, that are chewing the fat in the corner, but you probably wouldn't listen anyway. So good luck, I bless you, and on your way. Welcome to the Eternity War, where we flick through old copies of Reader's Digest and chat with our buddies while we wait for an appointment with God. And we're still waiting. I'm Chris Adams. I'm Nick McKinnon. And uh, on this episode, Nick, this is our 25th episode. Is that a milestone? That's got to be something. Something? Quarter of a century? Grass. What? Grass? Grass? Grass episode? Well, it's not gold, is it? We haven't got that far. No. But this is uh, an episode where we have a guest. We do. An interesting guest. Why have we got this guest? How did this come up? Yeah, well, so Chris, you and I are attuned to the podcasting world. This is like we're up to our neck in this stuff. Mm. One evening as I was wasting precious moments of my limited existence on Facebook, uh, something jumped out of my newsfeed and slapped me in the face. Um, There's an artist that I'm a bit of a fan of, Daniel J. Townsend, and he was releasing his latest album, which is called A Tale of Two Cities. That's that's not the surprising bit. The surprising bit is how he's releasing it. He's releasing it as a podcast with eight episodes, with each episode introducing a song from the album. Now, I don't know about you, Chris, but I've never heard of um, an album being released like that. Have you? No. 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 And, like, I was fascinated by the idea. But, like, as well as fascination, I was filled with a million questions and a, a bunch of doubts as to how useful a podcast is for releasing an album. Like, there's all these questions about, like, how do you base an episode around one song? What do you do with the other 15 or 20 minutes of the episode? Um, and as a listener, like, why would anyone want to go to a podcast to listen to music? Like, that seems like a weird place to listen to music. Yeah, like, I had no idea how, how an album could work as a podcast. But then I listened to the first one. And have you listened to these... The first few podcasts, Chris? I thought I thought I brought them to your attention, actually. I was smacked in the face first by them. I don't know. So we can argue about that. We, we can. Yeah, no, I've listened to both of them uh, numerous times, actually. Yeah. And what do you want to know? I don't want to know anything. I just wanted to introduce the, our guest tonight. Well, yes, our guest. I, I can do a proper intro because he's sort of written himself his own bio when it comes to his podcast and everything. He bills himself, right, as a singer of stories. Says he was born on a tiny island on the edge of the world, the uh, descendant of a convict girl and her employer. He's a poet, folk musician, and dilettant historian. Actually, I had to look up dilettant. Do you know what dilettant means? No, I was wondering if you mispronounced diligent. <laughs> no, no, dilettant. It's uh, someone who cultivates <laughs> an area of interest without real commitment or knowledge. So it's sort of like he's an amateur historian, but I, I sort of went, no, I prefer dabbler. I think, yeah, he's a dabbler. And his name is Daniel J. Townsend. He's played at folk festivals and pubs and poetry places in much of Australia. So welcome to the Attorney Award, Daniel J. Townsend. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Do you use your middle initial just because it's the same one as... Oh, no, it's not. Oh, that ruins it. <laughs> so I was going to say because it's the same as Samuel L. Jackson's, but it's not. No, nah. no, J and L are similar. 
the same as Michael J. Fox. Do you use it because you've got a middle initial just like him? Uh, I put the middle initial in there because I thought it would make it easier to find me amongst the giant cacophony of sound that is the internet. And then shortly after, Donald J. Trump became even more of a <laughs> prominent personality on the world stage. And I thought, that's really annoying. But I also like Homer J. Simpson and Michael J. Fox. So yeah. I'll keep it in there. Does Donald Trump use his middle initial? I've never heard that. Yeah, Donald J. Trump. Mm. Donald J. Trump. That's his, that's his official name. There you go. I didn't know that. It is. Well, it was. <laughs> I wish there was more I didn't know about him. <laughs> <laughs> you and us both, buddy. So, yeah, we have Daniel on. We've actually known Daniel for a long time, both of us, but we have him on because he has moved from this tiny island of Tasmania. Uh, he's moved to the top end and he's been, I guess, dabbling in history and turning it all into songs for this album, which he's also turning into a podcast. Interesting format to release an album in, Daniel. I think Nick's got lots of questions for you. Millions. It is an interesting format, but I, I think in the... The current digital age, any format for releasing an album is interesting and worthy of conversation. Even people who say, I'm releasing a CD, people go, what? A CD? Why would you do that? And other people say, I'm releasing a record. And other people say, records? Like, aren't they annoying to travel around with? And you say, I'm releasing them exclusively online. And people say, what? No hard copies? And other people say, I'm just releasing them as a novelty teacup with a download code. And people are like, what? <laughs> like, whatever you do seems to be interesting. <laughs> Did you hear that tapes are coming back? That was always a given. You, if you leave a, yeah. a technology abandoned on the side of the road for long enough, eventually someone comes and takes pity on it. And I think it's time for the tapes. In the same way that probably in 20 years, really crappy quality MP3s will be cool again. People will long for the, long for the <laughs> no early. No way. They will. People will long for the early days of the download. When you could hear that sort of hissing of, of an indescript sound in, in amongst <laughs> all, the, all the music. CDs are starting to rot as well, I've heard. We've had them for, what, 30 years? Yeah. They've all, start, they've all started to rot. So don't go the way of CDs, Daniel. Um, I'll, try, I think- I'll, try and, I'll try not to rot. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm living in the tropics, so strange things happen up here, I tell you that. <laughs> now, you did move all the way from Tasmania to Darwin, were you um, running away from something or were you running to something? Hmm. Is there a third option? I like option? to get into the hard questions. There can be a third <laughs> option. Like, why, why did you go all of that way? Because, I mean, some of the stuff that you, you sing and talk about in the podcast is, you know, oh, have I made a mistake, you know, and, and longing for home and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, how, how long have you been there for now? Well, we moved up in February 2016. So, at time of recording, that's two years, two months. Um, we moved up kind of spontaneously, but kind of as the end point of a long trajectory. The spontaneous part of it was my wife said one day, have you thought of applying for work elsewhere in Australia? And so hmm. I looked up Music Job Australia. The first thing that came on the list was the job that I'm now working up here. So that was a Sunday morning in January. And um, by Sunday afternoon, we had a new place to live. <laughs> so that was a, an unusual day in the, in the Townsend household. But, but in terms of the, the longer trajectory, the difference between a rut and a grave is how long you stay there, I guess. So Tasmania is definitely my home. I've been there for much of my life and my ancestors' lives are caught up in the place. And you always come back to Tassie, just like the John Williamson song says. Mm. And another friend says Tasmania is always there, kind of in a parallel reality where it never changes. It's kind of that small town thing. And that's kind of true, but Tasmania is also rapidly changing in multiple ways. But we felt we could stay here and not notice the change, kind of like sitting on top of a glacier. 
or we can go somewhere else and do something else and break up our lives with different stories and different backdrops for the stories and, and give our two daughters some different adventures and really see the world from another well more than one point of view there are so many cultures up here it's it really is another another country it's it's called australia but australia is an idea it's just definitely another country in every way so we were pretty keen to get out and see the world i don't know i found it interesting listening to your podcast that you knowing you you grew up partly in adelaide so you're born in tasmania you grew up in adelaide spent a lot of time in tassie you knew a lot of people and then you went to darwin and you didn't know anyone so how have you gotten to hear all of these stories that you're starting to weave together into this album starting from scratch moving up there don't know anyone what was that like uh, for someone like me it's it's kind of the opposite it's it's hard not to collect stories if you're someone like me and you'd rather sit on a park bench and look <laughs> or sit on a bus and stare out the window or wait for a doctor's appointment and not read a woman's day it's very hard not to collect stories because people are just being themselves wherever they are. It's a full-time job to avoid other people and to avoid the weird interpersonal conflicts and confusions and hilarity that ensues with just us being, you know, homo sapiens in the same space. So moving up to a place like Darwin, it wasn't easy to establish myself in any capacity, but it was very easy to just sit still and watch people. It was very easy to go to the markets and not have anyone to talk to, so I talked to the other guy who has no one to talk to. It's very, it's very easy to meet buskers. It's very easy to sit at the bar and meet some guy who says, uh, Tasmania, hey? Yeah, well, Darwin's a nice place to run away to. <laughs> and to just have him leave that question hanging in the air for me to tell my, you know, running from my divorce story or mental <laughs> breakdown story or whatever the reason is that people want to come to the other end of the earth. It was very easy to collect those stories and to give them space to grow inside me as something that I might want to turn into a, a piece of art in some way. You seem to be more observant than the usual person, potentially. Is that just some sort of artistic, creative thing that's latent within you? It is a quality that is very common <laughs> to artistic people in that we tend to consider ourselves or we tend to feel outside of whatever is normal which makes it really funny when you get a group of artists together because they all feel different <laughs> to the, each other. And then you end up with the Mardi Gras where everyone's just totally over the top and it's just rainbow wonderful, you know. Um, <laughs> so that is a common quality to artists, whether they are writers, photographers, painters, songwriters, is we tend to be a little bit outside. So, yeah, we, we do kind of watch on <laughs> and it can be a little more difficult to be a part of what's happening. That's certainly true for me. And you really like to sing stories. Like a lot of musicians just sing relationships or but you, you like to share people's stories or the things that you observe. Okay. And sometimes you, you dabble, I guess, into into history and into telling other people's stories. Where did that sort of streak come from? Why dabble in that? I mean, you seem to like history a lot. And I, I remember going to school and like, no one wants to go to history class. That's, you know, you bring out all the old musty objects and you're talking about people who are dead and gone. And so what, what is it that draws you to the history of a place and its people and, and you wanting to, to share those stories? I haven't really studied the idea of history, but I think the idea of history is probably a Western colonial one which suggests that we used to be over there and now we're here and hopefully one day we'll be over there. Whereas for a lot of the people that I chat with up here, life doesn't go in a straight line. Life goes in circles or it goes in spirals. 
Uh, for a lot of people, yesterday and tomorrow are strange concepts. They understand them as ideas, but they don't live them as realities. So you can watch them buying their week's worth of groceries and you can tell that's not going to sustain you for two weeks. Why are you buying those things? <laughs> um, but it's because this is what we have now. So I think the idea of history is a funny one because we like to kind of distance ourselves from it and we imagine the people back then doing their funny old-fashioned ways, but these days we're different because we've got iPhones and probably other things. But really, people are people wherever you go and we've been the same forever. So if I struggle with certain things, if you put me back in 1782, I would have struggled with the same things, but they wouldn't have had I at the start of them or .com at the end of them. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the only difference. So... For me, history is just, it's just people being people wherever they are. And once I've broken down the idea that they are over there and I am over here, it becomes more interesting to me. I can sort of empathize with anybody. I can put myself in their shoes. That's a limitless bucket of stories to grab from. Does that make you a bard then, wanting to be a teller of stories? <laughs> Uh, I, I like I like the idea of a bard. Can we add that to your byline? Not just a folk musician, but a, a bard as well. I definitely would have been a bard if I'd been born a few centuries ago. Yeah, and yeah, you can you can chuck that in there just to further alienate me from normal <laughs> people. <laughs> There's also a, a a French idea. I forget the name that they use, but it was basically a traveling poet or a traveling storyteller. It was the same idea. It's a bit um, like a minstrel or something. It was kind of like a minstrel, but without the music. So they would right. they would go around and their job was to tell the stories that people needed to remember. And my hunch is that every culture has a similar thing. It's either the job of elders to tell stories or it's the job of uh, musicians or poets. Like the, the contemporary musical climate, it's the job of hip-hop and electronic musicians to, to give us those things. Whether they're doing it or not is another issue. But I play Hilltop Hoods music all the time when I teach young people. That's some of the best poetry to go to. If you look at a, a track of theirs... Stopping all stations. Yeah. It's absolutely an Adelaide song. It even starts with the next train to Adelaide will <laughs> depart, which anyone who's lived in Adelaide is like, oh, that freaking guy who tells you how long the train is. And it tells the story of an old guy getting on a train. Yeah. He sees a young woman and then he's assaulted by these young guys and she steps in and tries to help him. He gets knifed, doesn't he? He does. And in the first yeah. verse, it's told from his point of view where you hear that he, his wife passed away and that he's got a hearing aid that doesn't last half the day and he gets a fine for not having enough coins. And he sees a young woman who reminds him of his wife and he says hello. And in the second verse, it's from the young woman's perspective. And we find out that she's been out, out all night stripping to raise money for her son and she's coming down from a high and she's sick of dudes looking at her and this old guy looks at her and she tells him to fuck off or something. And then this messy band of roughs board and she steps in almost without thinking. And in the third verse, of course, it's the young guy who's got on the train with mm. the intention of robbing someone. And we find out that he's just got out of prison for some petty crime. And he's kind of angry at the world for the life that he's been given. Looks for the most vulnerable person as that old guy. And he gets two bucks and a pension card. And by the end of the song, you see the story from everyone's point of view. But whoever hears that story from Hilltop Hoods, like most people don't listen to the words in that kind of with that kind of appreciation that you go, oh, fuck, this song fucking kicks, man. Like, which, <laughs> yeah. which is great. It totally it's, does. It's lit. It's where the stories are. That's contemporary Australia. Paul Kelly does mm. it too, but Hilltop Hoods take it to another place. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're the contemporary bards now. Mm. Um, and there's a lot to learn from them. My experience is you have liked telling stories from people that are, you know, living through difficult situations. Like even 
in an earlier musical format before you were Daniel J. Townsend, you were in a band singing about a guy in Launceston, you know, a father who's selling drugs to keep his family afloat and stuff like that. Wanting to tell these these stories of marginalized people or people who are a bit gray, I guess, that it's not all black and white sort of thing. Is that that's been important to you? I think it has not just yeah. talk not just singing about the cool people and the beautiful people. Yeah, I think when I was younger, those stories were louder. I was more aware of them. Um, just like when most people are younger, you're, you're more aware of what is really right and what is really wrong and what is really dark and what is really shiny. But as as I get older, I used to talk about singing about ordinary people and now I'm like, I don't know if there are any extraordinary people. I'm pretty sure the American president, you know, Bob Dylan says even the American president sometimes has to stand naked. Like, I don't think he's that extraordinary. He's just in a place where lots of people are looking at him. And he has to tie his shoelaces like anybody else. And he has a, a marriage which is clearly not very happy. And he has things <laughs> that he'd like to do which aren't being built. And, you know, he's trying to do stuff like anybody. And some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. I'm pretty sure if we could get past the mythology of Donald Trump and the, the knee-jerk responses to however we feel about him, that he would be an interesting person in his ordinariness. Like, 70-year-old man sitting on the toilet. I've got two minutes free. I need to write something that's going to attract attention. That's a pretty sad place to be, mm. whoever you are. And oh, maybe there's a song right there without even naming him. Like I couldn't say, you know, the Donald J. Trump blues because people can't hear past that name. The brand is so strong. <laughs> yeah. But I could say it's a story about Ronald, <laughs> Donald, <laughs> or, do you know what I mean? Just the old bloke in the loo. I used to think it was ordinary people, but now I just think everyone's, everyone's pretty ordinary and everyone's doing their best to be happy and everyone's been hurt and Everyone's doing their best to avoid being hurt again and to have happy feelings again. So here I am. And now you've um, collected a whole bunch of new stories and you're telling them in a podcast. It's not You're not just singing a song, but you're also telling stories behind it, around it, all sorts of things. That, where did you get the idea? Um, apparently podcasts are great and everyone loves them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're up to our necks in that. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing is, it's absolutely not funny for anybody who knows me. Um, I've never listened to a podcast before making one. <laughs> I just figured it seemed a good format, so I gave it a go. And I asked a couple of questions of a couple of friends who've made them. And they said, oh, it should be about this long and preferably be, you know, friendly. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be a jerk on purpose. And that was about it. And I thought, well, I guess what I'll do is I'll play the song. I'll introduce the song so it has some context play the recording of the song, um, tell some of the stories that are either in my mind when I play it or were in my mind when I wrote it or have come to mind after listening to it a few times and sort of spiral around and come back and land on the ground and say, and here's the song again, see if it sounds any different to you. I thought that'd be fun. That'd be something I'd like to listen to and I don't really understand other people, so I made something I'd like to hear. <laughs> but you were saying that you talk to other people who've made podcasts but were any of those people musicians or other different types of artists that have used podcasts as a launching pad for their art? No. Yeah, so it's a completely new idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've never heard of it before. Well, yeah, no, for releasing, like Tripod do a podcast where they tell all the stories about their songs and they play like three songs every podcast. It's called Perfectly Good Podcast. There's. Why didn't they call it the Tripodcast? That was just oh. waiting to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Maybe they're funnier than me. They're like comedians or something, right? <laughs> the, fir the first three or four episodes were basically them arguing about what to call it. 
they settled on perfectly good podcast. But they they have songs, but they they're not <laughs> releasing they're not releasing new material. They're just going back through their whole back catalogue and explaining everything. So that's different. So this you is You know what I did? New- I did I did get onto Google and just type Radiohead podcast because anything cool that's been invented <laughs> mus- musically, they've already done it ten years ago. There was nothing on there and I was very audibly and visibly stunned that Radiohead hadn't done a podcast. I thought, well, if Tom York hasn't thought of it, I'm clearly either a genius or doing the dumbest thing in the world, which can be the same thing simultaneously. <laughs> well, you, you often talk about a new frontier and being up in Darwin is the new frontier. You're, you're a pioneer on this new frontier then, I guess. Oh, just just keep, keep stroking that ego, Chris. It's great. A little to the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the territory is definitely the frontier. I see lots of parallels between the NT and Van Diemen's Land back in the day, you know. In many ways, the territory is what Van Diemen's Land could have been prior to the 1830s when things became really horrific. And in a lot of ways, when I first came up here, I felt like I'd gone back in time nowhere near the 1830s, more like the 70s or the 80s in Australia. Uh, If you want to advertise your business, you just get a couple of star droppers and put your banner on the side of the road and just advertise your business. You don't need a council permit. You don't need to put yellow plastic things on top so no one scrapes their hand. Like if someone scrapes their hand on your sign, well, they're clearly an idiot for being on the side of the road near a sign. Every year, once a year on Territory Day, anyone can buy fireworks and set them off pretty much anywhere. Mm. And they do because we're the Territory and we can do what we like, you know. Do you have speed limits yet? We do have speed limits. They're 130. (sighs) So how come that isn't how you released your album? How come you didn't just like sit on the side of the road with a nice big sign saying, oh, I've got an album out? <laughs> uh, I couldn't be bothered making a banner. I'd only be selling them to, to truckies and, <laughs> and backpackers from Sweden with their bottle of orange juice hoping to get to Melbourne. You're not quite a local yet you- then. <laughs> no. Couldn't be bothered making a banner. How long would it take to make a banner? What? A few hours at most. How long does it take you to do each one of these basically half hour length podcasts? Because you've got all of this soundscape happening behind it. You've been out and about recording sounds and talking to people. You've got to go. How long does it take? How much effort? When when you put it like that, yeah, it is easier to make a banner. It's also easier to make a cup of tea than a child. However, (laughs) you know. You screwed up twice then, Dan. <laughs> I think I could have had a lovely cup of tea. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Many, many cups of tea. <laughs> maybe the simplicity of, of making the banner was not the drawback for me. It was more the fact that I would have to go outside. I would have to go to Bunnings and admit that I don't have any tools or know exactly the materials <laughs> that I'm asking for. I'd have to get stuck in aisle 44 looking for some kind of screw. Like, that's not fun. Some people do that for fun. I'm more English than Australian, like Bunnings, if it was in my house, would go out of business. But Bunnings in Australia, people go there several times a day. Kids look forward to going there for some reason. Sausages. Sausages. They can play in the playground. Parents can argue over the ensuite plastic cane furniture that goes outside. Look, I just, it doesn't float my boat. That's why I don't make banners. I make sounds and stories. That's the reason. Fine. Guilty as charged. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dan... Music has obviously changed a lot in this digital frontier that we're on at the moment. Do you still listen to albums from start to finish? I only do that. Right. Uh, What about you, Chris? How do you listen to music? I used to listen to albums from start to finish more so than I do now. I now have just stuff on my iPod in playlists that I make 
But I am buying things on LP, so I do get to listen to start to finish, well, halfway and then turn it over and then the other half. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't use the CDs anymore. I don't listen to a whole album like that. But I know you like listening to like concept albums, Nick. You know, you like something that's got a theme sort of running all the way through it or stuff like that. I think they're the sort of things that Daniel likes producing. He's done, I think, the album before this. What was that called? World Until Yesterday. Was that? Yeah. So that was a lot about Tasmania, was it? Yeah, there were Tasmanian stories. Yeah. Um, basically, starting from, I guess the idea was starting from pre-colonial involvement through until the present day. There's a Banjo Patterson poem in there. There's a Bert Spinks poem in there. There are songs that I wrote. There are songs that I kind of nicked from various folk sources around the place. Mm. And um, the idea is that it yeah, it sort of becomes new as you get there. And by the time you get to the end, the new feels old and the old feels new. And it's just a work of, you know, sheer brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> and before that, before that, you had a full concept album. Wasn't that Iscariot? Was that the thing that came before that? Yeah, that was an album of songs circling the life of Judas, who was the infamous 12th apostle. Uh, He portrayed Christ. I don't know why I was interested in him. A friend contacted me just last week and said, I'm listening to that album. He said, you've got a five-year-old Jesus in there. You've got Judas in there. You've got a prostitute in there. You've got a talking tree. And he said, if I could have come up with this idea, followed through with it, and then made it sound like this, I would, you know, be a happy man kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm just so far removed from it. It was like looking at a photo of a childhood version of me. It's like, well, that's that's Daniel, but it's it's not me anymore. I really liked that first album. Thank you very much. It probably felt more profound at the time. It would be interesting for me to go back and to try to engage with that because it was a, a very um, cathartic process to go through and to create something. Um, it was also the beginning of who I am and what I'm like these days, which is finding stories and turning them into something that other people might enjoy, but also something that I just, you know, make for its own merit. But from four years away, it does feel like ancient history to me. I think it is a pretty common thing, though, for musicians to look back on the things they've created in the past and not feel fully satisfied with it, though. Yeah, definitely. I like calling them records. I used to call them albums, but now record makes more sense because it's, you know, it's a record of where you were. Like, it is what it is, you know? If I was to do it again, there's plenty that I'd do differently. I'd record it differently and I'd probably do it all in one go rather than over the course of several months. And But then it wouldn't be that, it would be this. So, <laughs> it's a record. So, do you think that these new technologies, the Spotify and the iTunes and YouTube and all those sort of things are affecting the way you create music? They affect the way I think about it. I don't know if they affect the way I create it. Uh, I was very conscious today, took my youngest, or both my daughters, to gymnastics. So I sat in a in a shed for an hour and listened to their playlist. Then had something else to do in a shopping center for about 45 minutes. Then I came home and then I had something else to do in a different shopping center. I was buying, you know, groceries and stuff. So all in all, about three hours of my day were in public, nondescript, you know, mainstream kind of places. And I was very aware that I didn't hear in the entire time, I didn't hear a single instrument that I recognized. And there was music playing the entire time. All of it is computer generated or computer modified. And even the voices are auto-tuned. So it's not a voice as I would recognize it. It's, well, clearly that's been put through a filter to make it sound. Sometimes intentionally make it sound kind of robotic. And other times it's just such a perfect note. No one ever sings like that. I had three hours without hearing any instruments that I recognized 
which is not to denigrate those technologies. It's just a different musical landscape, you know. Even 10 years ago, it was different, and certainly 20, 30, 40. So when I play the music that I grew up with, that feels like a billion years ago to modern ears. They don't understand why is that guy's voice, you know, it sounds like he hasn't warmed his voice up. Well, he probably didn't. <laughs> why is he shouting? Because he's angry. <laughs> why is he hitting his drums like that? Because that's what you need to do for that part of the song. It's just how you do it. So Spotify and, and YouTube and contemporary technologies are all geared towards perfect music made by imperfect people, usually in a makeshift bedroom studio with thousands of dollars worth of equipment and no friends. And that's how people listen to it. They stick their headphones in and they listen to it by themselves. You know, you press play when you want to and I press play when I want to and no one listens to music at the same time in the same space. And certainly no one picks up a, a launch pad and teaches themselves how to play their favorite song. That's not how you do it. That's how I learned to play guitar. It's like, I want to, how does he do that bit? You know, yeah. that's how I learned to play drums. How does he do that with his ride cymbal? But it's completely different, which is not to say that the world I grew up in musically doesn't exist. It does, but it's not the popular flavor at the moment. You know, people are still making disco. People are still making 60s era style Beatles rock bands, but they're not on the radio and their time will come and everyone will go, oh, isn't this vintage and lovely? That's just the way it is. I can sound a bit like a grumpy old man, but it's, you know, it's not where my music lives. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't live on the radio. It doesn't live on a Spotify playlist or on a, a hot this or a trending that. It takes too long to engage with and it doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like hanging a painting on a train or singing a sonnet in a shopping center. Like it's not where it lives. And to try to make it live there just makes me sad and does injustice to what I've made. So I play it where it fits. And putting it in a podcast felt weird because that's in the digital space where I don't feel very comfortable. But a song surrounded by stories is the best place for my music. So it's probably the closest thing you're going to get to sitting in a room with me and having a chat. That's what it felt like. Yeah. So will you be releasing it as a CD or a downloady thing? Or I don't know. Because like, how the hell will you listen to it from start to finish? I don't know. I'm certainly disheartened by the benefits of modern music consumption. <laughs> Even just referring to it as consuming it, you know? Um, people say to me, put all your podcasts up so I can binge listen to them. And that to me, it just feels really disrespectful to speak about what I'm doing in that regard. It sounds like I'm a some kind of peasant or a serf or a slave and I've come in with my little bowl of soup and this fat aristocrat sits there <laughs> and says, bring me a fucking feast. You know, well, well, what what are you making, you shithead? Like, go and listen to something else. Why would you do that? Like, I feel bad now. But that's just how we do it, you know? No, but I feel bad because I was going to say, it's. I've been waiting for like weeks for the second episode <laughs> to drop and it's finally dropped. And I'm like, where are the other six, Daniel? <laughs> but that's because you live in internet land. That's what the yeah, internet. It is. That's yeah. how, that's what it does, you know? In the no. It does. It does. If you live in folk festival land, it's a very different, very different world. No, if you but live in poetry recital nights, that's a very different space as well. You learn to shut up for three hours, not because it's great, but because that's just what you do. There might be something great, but there might not. But you can't tune in and out when something grabs your attention. You can't like and share it. It's there and it's gone. That's how you do it. But the internet we become like what we spend all our time and our money on, that we become like that in the same way that full-time McDonald's employees and Wendy's employees start to look like their products. Mm. People who spend a lot of time on the internet start to become two-second attention span. I have to tell everyone what I'm doing, even if it's just such and such. I'm listening to this on Spotify. Who cares what I'm listening to? Why do I need to broadcast that to the universe? 
and then someone likes it, why do you need to tell me that? Leave me alone. That's not where I live. <laughs> it's not where, well, I, not so where I live at all. Can you like what someone else is listening to on Spotify? I don't have Spotify. I've seen on Facebook such and such, listened to such and such on, you know, it comes up in your feed if you if you don't yeah, know. Right. This is on yeah. my early days of Facebook when I was learning how to, you know, stop what was coming through. Every, <laughs> every three minutes, such and such, listen to this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, if it was just a weird glitch, then I'd be like, that's a weird glitch. But clearly that's been engineered for some yeah. basic deep human need to feel connected, but just fill the air with fart sounds. It's such a waste of time. In defense of that, whoever that person is that wants to binge listen to your stuff, like I want to listen to your album from start to finish. And I don't want to have to listen to an eighth of it every eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, ab- like, absolutely. You, you, don't, you don't listen to albums that way. No, I don't. No, I don't. And I totally get it. I do totally get it. Just um, the idea of when I was a kid, binge was a naughty word that we used in drink awareness ads, mm. you know? Yeah. Don't binge. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your kids. It's bad for your driving. Don't binge. And at some point, marketers and, and clever, hip young things pulling the strings are like, actually, that's how people watch TV. They watch, you know, three yeah. days straight of the Hunger Games. That's what they do. And so they now advertise it, even on ABC, the most auntie cardigan safe place. <laughs> binge watch this on iView. It's like, we're encouraging people to binge, which for me, I hate the idea. I really hate the idea of binging on anything. Because it's all about consuming. Hence the, my idea of the fat aristocrat mm. saying, give me more food. What are you making? Like, I don't mind you listening to my whole album lots of times. I don't mind mm. you listening to my podcast lots of times. But if it's just, what else can I eat? What else can I put in me? That's just as bad as just watching porn all day or eating shit food or drinking bootleg whiskey. You know, like you can't just fill yourself up all the time. You've got to make stuff as well. And for me, that's as you can tell by the tone of my voice, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what really that's what really distresses me about ABC saying binge watch stuff. Like they can't give us dirt girl world and say go outside and plant trees at the same time as saying get the app on your iPad and your kid can binge watch this all the fucking time. Like it's, it's one or the other, guys. TV used to turn off at midnight and ABC Kids does turn off, but you can still give them the app and they can watch themselves to sleep. Like I don't think that's but good. That- you're highlighting the difference between the creator of the content and the marketing people at ABC. Like the person that creates Dirt Girl World does want to encourage kids to get out there and get their hands dirty. The marketing person at ABC doesn't give a fuck whether people get outside and <laughs> put their hands in the soil. They just want them to keep watching. That is true. And while creative people, songwriters, artists, whatever, we view the world in terms of what we create, I think everybody is supposed to be creating something. I don't think you're supposed to be writing poems or making podcasts or painting pictures or whatever, but you're supposed to contribute something. You're supposed to give something and then you stop breathing and that's it, you know? (laughs) Whether that's creating a great life for your kids or working with people who need a hand or just being a great telemarketing guy, (laughs) you're supposed to make something that is worth something outside of yourself. If you only identify who you are by what you're putting in your face, like no wonder we're so hungry all the time. Because suddenly the season stops and we're all mourning the loss of, you know, whatever the TV show is or whatever Beyonce's album is, you know. So you're sort of like saying we're stuffing our face, but it never fills us up. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Yeah. I am. And it's a funny thing because generally the the people that I roll with, the, the creative folk, don't live in that world. You know, they don't 
often don't have the mod cons and if they do they use them in quirky ways that i'm like man i wish i had a fancy phone so i could be a better more creative functional person like you are you know (laughs) tracking where your your bottle came from and then returning it to the place so that you can recycle it properly because you've got an app for it and stuff it's like that's (laughs) that's a really good use of technology like i don't even know how to do that (laughs) yeah the people i roll with don't tend to to live that way i feel a, a bit of a voice in the wilderness in that regard I'm I'm really, really concerned that we're just so fat and rich. We have nothing to do but complain about not having the NBN, you know? If that's all we've got, then shut up, mate, because the revolution's coming and they're going to put your head on a guillotine. Like, that's how it happens. <laughs> we're at the top of the pile. And we, if, if we know that's where we are, we better do something useful with it. Well, I'm going to be more patient. You know, you can uh, release that next podcast whenever you feel like, Dan. <laughs> I'll just I'll just enjoy it when it shows up because I don't want you swearing at me. <laughs> oh yeah, I do have a, a a tendency to to speak my mind before I've thought what's in it. <laughs> so how does this change in how you release albums? How does that change yourself as a musician? Like in the past, you would create a physical piece of artwork that you would go and sell and you know you'd tour around selling that piece of artwork essentially but you're not going to go around selling a podcast like firstly how do you make any money from this bloody thing and if you don't make any money from it how does that change how much time you can devote to it and yeah like how you see that part of your life i've often thought of my creativity as like a car a car is a very expensive thing to have. Just buying it is expensive and then you register it and you service it and you fill it up and you top the oil up and you know you pay your taxes and all the rest. It's a very expensive thing to have and it, it helps you to do stuff. It helps you to go places and see things and it helps you to connect. It helps you to have memories that you would otherwise just be too far away from to be ever able to make. And so you invest and make sure that your car, in my case, is healthy enough that it can do what it needs to do. Some people pour their entire life into a car. Some people just drive cars into the ground. I've been a car into the ground kind of guy for a lot of my life. More recently, it's like, well, let's let's make sure this thing works and, and serves us. That's what it's for. And I think my, my music and my, my creativity is kind of similar. Like a very long time ago, I separated music and money as two very separate things. And economic rationalism is such a part of our society, it's very hard to do that especially for people who are not musicians. They often want to know, you know, I'm always asked, do you do this full time (laughs) when I play a gig? Which tells me that that person is not a musician. (laughs) Um, Yep. So for me, I think that the music is something that I invest in and I care for it so that it can do what it needs to do. You know, it can take me, literally take me to places, you know, it's taken me all over the country to festivals and gigs around the place. It's put me on TV and, you know, radio, radio, all that kind of stuff. But more importantly for me, it's in respecting the potential of the capacity of my music and valuing it for what I see it to be. It doesn't just take me to those places. It takes the song somewhere, which otherwise, you know, it's on the internet. You can find anything, but you won't, (laughs) you know, like kids will say to me, what time is it, mister? And I'll say, you tell me it's on the wall. I can't read that clock. Well, if only you had a device in your hand which had all of the information available to you that anyone has ever thought ever Mm. available within three seconds and you could teach yourself how to read a clock. But no, you won't. So I guess you don't know what time it is, you know. Sucks to be you. So, you know, so the the music 
takes itself there. Do you know what I mean? Because I invest in it and I care for it and it's good enough and I can, inverted commas, sell it to venues or to festivals or whatever as something that this is going to help your festival to be a great place. This is going to help your venue to have happy punters who will drink beer and have a great time and they'll come back. You know, I get it's a two-way street, but it gets me to two hours south of Perth. I never thought I'd travel there, but there's a great music festival there. And I went there and played music and people contacted me a year afterwards saying that set you played. I'm still thinking about that song you played about the people on the boat and da 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 And it's taken me to far northern Queensland and it's I'm up here in Darwin. I'm playing up the road at a festival just next week and it's taken me right to the bottom of Tassie and it's taken me everywhere in between. And people have a three-minute moment with a song or a, a 45-minute moment of, wow, that was that was a moment of solace or silence or reflection in an otherwise kind of noisy crazy place and the music drove itself there and did its own thing and drove itself home so does it make any money i don't know i'm still here i'm still doing it and i'm not in debt to anybody so i guess it does festivals pay me to play there and people still buy cds at festivals at the national folk festival i sold around about 20 which doesn't really sound like all that much but if they're 25 bucks a pop they paid the, the plane fare and got me some money to put in the bank to make more music for next time that's why i do it that's why i why i sell them I think if I was to go and see a financial advisor, they would advise me otherwise. <laughs> but if I was to go and see some sort of artistic advisor, they'd say I was doing fine. Hmm. I don't think people quite understand how the economics of services like Spotify work. Like you and I were talking a day or so ago, Dan, and I had no idea how little artists get paid every time their songs played like i think you said it was something like 0.006 cents per listen yeah that's about right and so the song would have to be listened to like i don't know i can't even remember what you said but something like a thousand times and you'd get paid six cents yeah that's right sit with that for a moment how insane is that I think the thing we have to sit with is as people that can, like all of us consume art or consume's not the right word, but um, whatever word you like using, but all <laughs> of us access art and relate to art, whatever. And like I want to feel like like I'm being ethical with the art that I, I don't know, am, lis- am listening to or watching. And so if it's some massive band like, you know, Foo Fighters or U2 or whatever, I don't think it really matters. I don't really care. They're making millions of dollars, whatever. But if it's someone who isn't in that situation, like I, I want them to feel like, yeah, money doesn't matter, but it, it's still a useful way to make people feel like this is worthy of my time and worthy of the limited amount of resources that I have. And so I want to be able to contribute to artists that I feel like I have a connection with. Um, and like I just don't think people would understand that you listen to a song on Spotify and, yeah, you're not having to pay for it. But that has another side of it that the the creator of that content is not getting anything. Yeah. Well, heck, they're getting exposure, aren't they? <laughs> well, that's it. That's the argument is they're getting exposure. Well, yeah, yeah, we are. That's, that is true. And it's not as if the music has been stolen from us and held at ransom at Spotify factory. You know, I put it up there. Um, but once again, I didn't put it up there to make any money. And <laughs> success. Mm. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Um, yeah, but that was the argument to get rid of Napster. That was the argument to get rid of that. But on Spotify, like that's a legal service yeah. that when people listen to it, I think they have it in their head that they're doing something that contributes to the artists that are creating the content. And it's just not the case. Like, yeah, if you're U2 and, you know, your song's been listened to a billion times, well, then, yeah, you'll, you'll get some money out of it. 
Yeah, that is true. So there's the exposure and artists put it up there for themselves or their label does as part of the contract or whatever. So that is true. The difference between Spotify and Napster is um, Napster was in the early days of people trying to do music differently. So they'd had the idea of a music collection, which used to be a room full of LPs, and then it was a stack of CDs. And then it was, well, it's going to be like that, but I guess it's on the computer now, so I'll acquire as much of a pile of music as I can. And people like you know, Metallica, most notably, said, this is going to destroy everything. And it's not as if we need the money, says Metallica, but it's morally wrong and it's going to destroy the way the music industry does things. And all the 18-year-old dudes in their bedroom said, we don't care because we like breaking stuff. And, you know, if you can put it on as a digital file, that's the end of it, you know, whatever it is. No one could imagine that the uh, movie industry would suffer the same fate because we couldn't imagine being able to download movies in those days. It took, you know, half an hour to get a song. But the difference between Spotify and, and Napster is that it's it's no longer about downloading, it's just about streaming. It's it's kind of like making your own radio station. So Steve Jobs, when he started iTunes, said there was no future in streaming because it's impossible for people to pay for it. And when he made iTunes, he thought that that would be the way for a very long time. Even though I don't think he imagined people were going to pay $1 per song and fill up their iPods with 10,000 songs. Like, who has a $10,000 iPod? Really? <laughs> I, is that really what he thought was going to happen? Don't reckon. So Spotify is different because it's kind of like the radio. And then people go, well, you know, I've never paid for the radio. Yeah, that's true. But Coke has <laughs> and Holden has. And, you know, they have big sponsorship deals. That's how they pay for radio. So it's it's a new space that we're in. We've arrived here very quickly, which some technocrats have been able to see coming for a long time. But most of it is just kind of in the same way that the woman at Kmart that I saw this morning goes, these T-shirts are only $2. And my first thought is, why? <laughs> How did that happen? Where yeah. have they come from and who is getting screwed over royally to make that? And did you really need it before you saw it? It's kind of the same space. So I'm not saying that I'm like a Bangladeshi sweatshop worker, but it is kind of the same system, you know? Well, if if, if I didn't buy it, someone else would. Or if I didn't buy it, they wouldn't have a job. Yeah, yeah, that's all true. So what's your plan, altruistic Western man? What are you going to do? Um, something I release do really a podcast. Like about, <laughs> He's going to release uh, well, something a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and I still make no money. Something I really do like about this new space, though, is it's kind of like we've gone full circle back to the days of artists needing patrons, mm. you know? I used to wonder, why why were all the artists in the Renaissance so into biblical stories? Like, they were all religious. Fancy that. Most artists really aren't like that. <laughs> but of course they weren't. They just wanted to paint and make stuff. And the Catholic Church, or whichever the church was of the region, that was the most wealthy institution of its day. And so they were the people who paid for, can you please paint me a, a massive ceiling, Michelangelo? Can you mm. please sculpt me a massive sculpture, Michelangelo? De Caravaggio would have to be one of the most messed up artists that I'm aware of of his day. But he was still painting Bible stories in between, you know, illicit sex and murder. But he, <laughs> he had a patron and his patron wanted Bible stories. So that's what he did. And we're kind of back in that space now where artists, there are a bunch of web pages where you can, you know, kind of sponsor a child, sponsor an artist. <laughs> I'll give you, you know, $200 if you release an album and they get 20 of them and suddenly they've got cash enough to do it. Or I'll give you $10 a month if you're creating or, I'll, you know, or I'll give you $1,000 if you come to my house and give me a house concert and I get a free copy of the LP or, you know, all these kinds of GoFundMe, Kickstarter, Patreon kind of ideas. It's a really cool space. I wonder how soon before ordinary people get sick of sponsoring musicians because we kind of think of it as Kickstarter. Like after this, then you'll be okay and to do it by yourself. 
when the reality of art is no, you'll probably pay Michelangelo for his whole life. That's how it tends to roll. So I don't know if we're ready for that long distance journey of paying for musicians to sit around and maybe release an album every now and then. But I hope we can find a way to make that happen because that would be a really cool full circle and a great reconnection between artists and people who, like yourselves, who value the arts and value the creators of it and want to help but don't quite know how to do that. I think that, you know, imagine just five bucks a month from a few people around the world. That'd be great. I think oh. that's a really cool new space. Yeah. I like that. And art is really, you know, like I think it's just so important because it does tell us who we are. It, it gives this nuance to life. It makes life richer. I, I don't know where we'd be without music or painting or I, it just seems like this very gray and dull existence. So art's really important. And if there's a way that we can help run your car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the way I've managed my creative output is to have work that helps me to do what I want to do. Yeah. Which is the way a lot of a lot of artists do it, you know. Hence the cliche of have you ever listened to the Dandy Warhol's Bohemian Like You? Yeah. You, pro- you probably recognize it, but the lyrics to that song for me are just timeless if you're in the arts. It's basically a dude talking to a girl and they've just met and they're trying to, you know, hook up or whatever. And he says, you've got a great car. What's wrong with it today? I used to have one too. I'll come and have a look. I really dig your hairdo. I'm glad you like mine too. See, we're looking pretty cool. <laughs> Catch ya. That's exactly what, that's exactly how they talk and, or how we think, you know? Oh man, my car stopped working. Of course it does because we don't have much money. Like, But I used to have a 180B and I've got a spare carburetor and, you know, I see you've got a cool haircut, which is either a haircut or just a lack of haircut or a nice beard or what, whatever the flavor of the month is. Mm. And then the next verse is, um, so what do you do? Oh, I wait tables too. No, I haven't heard your band, but I guess you guys are pretty new. But if you dig vegan food, come over to my house and I'll have you cooking something that you really love. <laughs> hey, and the third verse is, who's that guy just hanging on your couch? He's looking kind of, her. oh, you broke up. Oh, that's too bad. But I guess it's not too bad if he always pays the rent and he doesn't get bent about sleeping on the couch when I'm there. (laughs) That is just timeless commentary of the performing arts. You know, we work in cafes and we're making new stuff and we're kind of self-conscious because no one's heard it because we're not as famous as anybody else. And we're in share houses and we're kind of self-conscious and trying not to be self-conscious and therefore being more self-conscious. And it's just, (laughs) It's just a funny thing. That's that's we work in cafes. That's that's a job that works for the arts. But so does teaching works. You get long holidays, you know. So does mowing lawns. Tim Rogers mows lawns from UMI. <laughs> I've interviewed him, and he's quite quite open about being a lawn mowing guy. That's what he does. Right. What do you teach? I teach music at a a big high school in um, about thirty minutes outside of Darwin. So you're helping to get all of these uh, young people to start getting behind the wheel of their own car and producing stuff. I am doing what I would do if I had a chance to do it. (laughs) The fact that I'm getting paid to do it and then it's my job description and then I needed a qualification to be in the room and, you know, it ticks the boxes so it's legitimate and then I'm accountable. But if someone said, dude, can you come and just hang out with these young people and, I don't know, play them a song or talk about lyrics or write a hip-hop, I don't know, just do something... That's going to make their life more interesting and get them out of their own self-absorption. I don't know. Just do whatever it is musicians do for an hour. I would say, of course, I would love to do that. And either we'd we'd learn how to play Pumped Up Kicks or Seven Nation Army or I'd play <laughs> them Hilltop Hoods 
or if they're in the country and they're into country music, we can learn some country music. Or there's that one girl who really wants to sing. If she's confident enough to sing by the end of the 60 minutes, like that's not only a wonderful thing for her, that's a gift to everybody else who's seen how, what a big deal it is to perform in front of people and to go, wow, all these artists that I really admire must have been in this exact position at some point. Like everyone has to sing for the first time sometime. And we saw your first like, nice work, Amber, you know, (laughs) That's that's what I do for fun. That's that's what I'm here yeah. for. And I I get paid to do it and I get long holidays, so it works out well. So has uh, Amber or or any of your other students cuz I I know you've you were talking before about stealing a lot of, you know, folk music from the past and stuff. Are, are you going to start, you know, sourcing material from these students? Like have they written any great songs that you want to share for us? You've got a guitar there, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I do have a guitar here. Uh, they've written a bunch of great songs. One of my students won an award for best song at the Battle of the Bands in Darwin just last week. And she won herself this amazing guitar and she brought it in in a borrowed guitar case because she doesn't have a guitar case. She brought it in and she showed it to me like that moment, man, it was, yeah, I've I've worked with that girl for the past year. um, And I'm not teaching her this year. She's doing music through correspondence. So she pops in from time to time. And she's been amazing forever. Everybody knows that. It's just a matter of her trying to find where I've got a puzzle piece and where is the rest of the puzzle? Where do I put this thing, you know? And she played this song to to me and to the entire year 11 music class last year. And it was just, you know, pin drop silence kind of stuff. And it's autobiographical and it's profoundly, painfully raw, but there's no anger or malice in it. It's just, this is what it is at the moment. You know, there's a real tenderness to it. And she finished that song. Everyone else who's in the music class could tell it was a great song. And I could tell it's not just a great song. It's you making sense of your life. And it's you choosing to take your life and turn it inside out and give it to everybody else who's willing to listen. And congratulations, you've just cracked the code. That's how you do it. Now go home and stare at the ceiling and ask yourself, do I have to do this? Because if you do, you can't turn that off. Mm you've made a promise to yourself and you can't go back on that because you were listening. And she went, came back the next day and said, this is it. This is all I've got. And I kind of wished it wasn't because, you know, you've got a great car. What's wrong with it today? <laughs> That's where she's going to live, you know? And she played it with a band that she'd assembled in one best song and brings this guitar in. And it's kind of like the guitar symbolized so much more. It was an amazing guitar in itself. Yeah. But to me, it's like, this is a picture of your past and a picture of your future. And you don't even have to play that thing. Mm. So that's what I did on Tuesday. (laughs) But I've got kids who are really into hip hop and who are being picked on and obviously aspire to be Eminem. And so they give me all these Eminem inspired gangster in the hood, motherfucker kind of lyrics. Mm. And I'm like, dude, you live on five acres on red dirt. You've never been to Detroit. I love your rhymes. They're really clever, but they're not yours yet. Hey, like you need to talk about Humpty Doo. (laughs) <laughs> what's what's it like living 30 minutes from your nearest friend or what's it like living next to a creek when you know there are crocodiles what's it like when there's only one pub in town and that's where everyone goes for anything i hope you don't say that to the kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's how annoying much. there's only one pub <laughs> there's only one well it's you know it's a it's a big town in that it takes up a lot of space but it's small and that there's not many people so the annoying thing is there's only one place to go to for anything to happen they can't go to the bowling alley or to the cinemas or to the shopping there's nothing there you know so rap about that and so his first line is another day in the nt there's no one around to offend me which is a reference to how far he is from everybody 
I thought, that is a great opening line, man. And he's been working on that for the past couple of weeks. And I've managed to get a couple of MacBooks through the school. So he's going to work with GarageBand and make his beats. And he's going to, you know, it's not out of Compton. It's out of Humpty Doo, but it's going to be, it's going to be his, you know, no one else has ever written that kind of stuff, finding his own path, but being inspired by other people who've done the same thing. You know, no one had ever written like Eminem before he did it. You must be like the favorite teacher. Are you the favorite teacher? You'd be a pretty cool music <laughs> teacher inspiring all these kids. Who inspired you, Daniel? Where did When did you sit down and go, oh, this is what I have to do and I've got to keep doing it? I am pretty well liked. There are a bunch of kids who aren't into music. They're into rugby and quad bikes and hunting and shooting. But I'm respectful of what they're into, so they tend to be respectful of me. Yeah. Um, but there is a bunch who, if they could, would be in the music room all the time for sure. Yeah. But there, there was a really important moment for me in year seven and kind of like the student I was telling you about before with the your life ends at this moment and starts at this moment. It was similar for me in year seven, sitting in a makeshift room, which wasn't even the music room. It was just the music room when we had music and then it was something else, you know, one of those kinds of schools. I don't remember there being any musical equipment around, but our teacher was a guy named Mr. Ellis, who everyone called Mr. E. And he said, um, I'm just going to play you a song. Have a listen. We've got a question for you when we finish. And he put on a vinyl LP Fleetwood Mac song, Don't Stop. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Mm. And I listened to it in 1993 and thought to myself, this song sounds like it was recorded a hundred years ago. Like no one sings songs like this anymore. Those drums, no one plays drums like that anymore. No one has synthesizers anymore. I've never seen a band with men and women in it together and it being a cool thing. They're singing about not stopping thinking about tomorrow. It's kind of like they're encouraging you to... I don't know, keep your chin up and stick with it. All of these thoughts ran through my 12-year-old mind. And at the end of it, Mr. E lifted the needle off the record and said, Daniel, what do you think? And I realized I've had lots of thoughts about that, but no one knows what they are and no one will ever know until I say them out loud. And there are no correct or incorrect answers. Mm. There's no chance of me screwing this up. There's no chance of me getting a pat on the back for getting it right. I don't even know what this interaction is. I've never had this conversation with a teacher before, which is, what do you think? I want you to tell me because I don't know and I'd <laughs> like to know. <laughs> and so I said, it sounded like it was recorded a long time ago. It didn't really sound all that cool. It's not really my style of music. It sounded like they were saying that things are going to get better. And yeah, that was about it. And Mr. E didn't give me a gold star and didn't say it was wrong. He just said, thanks, Daniel. And that was a very important moment for me Yeah, where I realized that my thoughts were important because I was the only person in the universe who had them <laughs> as far as I could tell. I might say them out loud and it'll resonate with someone else who had similar thoughts, but you know, my thoughts were mine. I wasn't just a cog in a classroom machine. I was Daniel and I was able to not like a song that my teacher clearly did like and tell him so. And we were equals in that, mm. in that scenario. He liked it. I didn't. What are you going to start a war over that? Of course not. And yeah, that helped me to understand myself as an individual and my thoughts and, and also made me sort of look around the room. I remember thinking, there's 26 other people in the room. Why didn't he ask any of them? I don't know what they're thinking. They probably all had thoughts as well. And I guess I'll never know. And it's never entered my mind that that kid over there who is not good at reading or writing or numbers or anything, he has thoughts. Of course he does. You just can't spell them. And that doesn't matter <laughs> when you're talking about music. No yeah. one asks you to spell Fleetwood Mac. They just say, what do you think? It's pretty much how I've done my life my adult life is that approach. What do you think? What do you see? What do you hear? It's like that Bob Dylan song, you know, uh, Hard Rain. 
Where have you been, my blue-eyed son? What did you see? What did you hear? Who did you meet? Where are you going? What are you going to do? The beauty is not in the adult singer asking the fancy questions. It's in the blue-eyed kid saying, well, I walked out the front of a dozen dead oceans. I met a young girl and she gave me a rainbow. And I met a white man who walked a black dog and I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping. And I saw a white ladder all covered with water and I stood out the front of seven sad forests. And I'm going out before the rain starts falling. Where their people are hungry and their, and their pockets are empty. Where black is the colour and none is the number. And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it and reflect it from the mountain so all souls can sing it. And I'll know my song well before I start singing. And that all came from the kid in the song. For me, that's where, with my teaching, but also with my approach to doing life, that's where the wisdom is. Because they don't know that it's wise. It just is. It's my only thought and I haven't thought about my thoughts. So this is, it sounded old and I didn't like it. Correct. It's Fleetwood Mac. They're freaking dinosaurs. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a real open-hearted beauty in not liking a song and just saying I don't like it. I don't know if it's a classic. I know it's a classic now. I should be more respectful of Fleetwood Mac now, but back then. Neil Finn's joined them now. So I saw. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd probably be great. I'd probably enjoy that. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac still exist. <laughs> they're touring. They just fired their guitarist for being a jerk. Yeah. Got Neil Finn instead by the sounds of it. Yeah. But this is the thing with a lot of musicians is that that's what they are for life, right? They're, of course they're they just, are. They're going to drive their car into the ground, you know, into a hole in the ground. Of course they are. The thing that we struggle to understand is in our adolescence and our young adulthood, we experience everything bigger and brighter and louder and more clearly than we'll ever experience them afterwards. Whether that's in a pursuit of truth or a pursuit of beauty, everything is turned up to 11. And it never will be again. So the music that you encounter in those years is so important. It doesn't have to be good music, inverted commas. It's just it's whatever you've got, you know. And it tends to be what you, what you carry with you for the rest of your life. That's why old people in old folks' homes play the music they listened to 70 years ago. We think, oh, isn't that quaint singing songs of the olden days? But it's not the olden days. It's their music. In the same way that our music is now becoming classic radio. And we're like, what? Isn't that what old people do? Oh, I guess, yeah, this is how it happens. Hey. Hello, Double J, the music of your yesterday. No, it's not <laughs> Triple J, but, but cool, right? No, it's not cool. It's That's just made me. for grown-ups. That's me. <laughs> it's made for grown-ups. And there we are. We're like, oh, I love Dogs Are the Best People. That's such a fun song. Like, It's fun because I heard it when I was 17. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck in the 90s. I'm still stuck in the 90s. But you, I mean, you started off being in like a punk type band and or a skatey type band. And yeah, you're more of a folk artist now. That was, uh, it was a so fairly sudden that, shift. That, yeah. Like, and I'm also interested in, like, you, sometimes it's just you and a guitar, but with the songs that you've just released in the podcast, there's a whole bunch of instruments and there's even some stuff which I'm listening to going, oh, I don't even know what that, you know, extra noises and stuff. So are you creating all of this individually uh, as a complete solo artist or have you got other musos in there with you? That's two whole questions. <laughs> That's Sorry. There's a few questions there. So yeah, I started out playing the music that I was listening to, like anybody does. And the music mm -hmm. I was listening to was loud, aggressive, punky kind of stuff, I guess. Grunge and variations of industrial punk and stuff. Like um, who? I was really into the underground scene where I was in Southern Adelaide, which was pretty rowdy back in the day. So there were bands like Mark of Cain and the Test Eagles, Cranktus, Toe to Toe. Um, Test Eagles is a great name. <laughs> it's a, it is a great name, isn't it? Yeah, Toe to Toe, Psycho Green, Sector 3, Bueller's Fix. Just, you know, 
balls out, really aggressive kind of stuff. Um, and the politer end of, of that spectrum was the Super Jesus, who sort of took some of that really gritty Adelaide sound and stuck beautiful melodies on the top and, you know, conquered the world for half an hour or so. And Sarah McLeod is still gorgeous and fantastic. I actually started the first Super Jesus web page back in the days when fans used to make pages for the bands. I made one for them. Yep. So I got to meet the band and threw some vodka over backstage and then they passed it to me out the front and it was like I was, you know, I was in. <laughs> it wasn't for them. I was just trying to smuggle it into the gig. Anyway, so that was the kind of music I was listening to. So I, I played drums and was in a punk band and we, you know, had a great car. What was wrong with it today for a couple of years and traveled around and did the things that bands do. Um, and then I found I found Bob Dylan and then Billy Bragg and then Paul Kelly in that order. I remember listening to an ad for a radio station. I listened to in Adelaide called 3D. There was an ad for Bob Dylan who was touring in 2001 or something. And I thought to myself, man, that guy's a dinosaur. Why does he just go away? Like <laughs> baby boomers go and have a, a great time reliving their memories. Now that I know a bit more about him, it probably would have been a terrible show and, and, and hardcore fans would have loved it or hated it. And he wouldn't have played the hits and would have been really cantankerous and annoying. But I, I went online and looked up a bunch of his lyrics because I knew that he was an artist that people respect. And I came across a song. Uh, he had a lyric about Judas and he said, for many a long night, I've thought on this Jesus Christ was betrayed by a kiss, but I can't think for you. I'll let you decide whether Judas Iscariot had God on his side. And the song's an, an analysis of America and how they've involved themselves in wars and always said that God's on their side. And that was another moment, kind of like Mr. E, where I realized, oh, this great genius of a songwriter isn't going to tell me what to think. He's just going to throw me a problem and leave me with it. He doesn't even know that this 20-year-old dude in Adelaide has heard the question. But he's left me to think about it. What a respectful way to raise that as an issue. I can't think for you or let you decide. And I thought, okay, maybe there's more to this guy than I thought. Maybe it's not actually about his music. Maybe it's about his words. Okay, I think I get it. So I entered Bob Dylan through the lyrics door rather than the, that really catchy song that I like to sing door mm. and discovered that there's just an entire universe of music there, either his or other people that he's stolen from or influenced or played with, you know. So it was only a natural trajectory to find Paul Kelly and Billy Bragg and Lead Belly and Woody Guthrie and singer-songwriters all over the place. So I started, I realized I didn't need to passionately deliver my lyrics. I could just say them or sing them. And if the lyrics were good enough, they would do the work inside the mind of the listener. And I was able to take it from there. My music was terrible to listen to in those days and it's slowly gotten better. <laughs> well, to the point to the point where these days I like listening to it. <laughs> yeah, Bob Dylan and Billy Bragg. Billy Bragg, was he's the bard of barking. That's his title. There's another bard. That's right. No, neither of them were known for their uh, their great voice, singing voice. So, which yeah. was not at all helpful for me because I figured if that's how low the bar is, then anyone can do it. <laughs> when when the reality is that you you do need to be insightful and a great poet and a thinker and you know understand humanity and stuff, which I was not yet to get anywhere near. But then heading towards the music I'm making now, that's the new material was produced by a guy in Darwin, an award winning producer by the name of Broadwing. Uh, his birth name is Ben Allen. He's a sound genius. He really is. Like I give him a voice and a guitar and I'll say, it's meant to feel like a cyclone's coming and then it's meant to feel like a cyclone's gone. Can you do that? And he's like, yeah, you just tell me if I take too many liberties with it. And I'd say, dude, you couldn't possibly take too many liberties. Do whatever you like. If you don't like the vocals, redo them or change them around or cut them out. So there are, there are entire chunks of guitar that I've played that he's just, it's gone. It's not in there. And it comes back later and there's an effect on it or not. Or sometimes it, it's as I've recorded it. Sometimes there's an effect on the voice. 
There's electronic drum sounds. There's yeah. reversed piano recordings. There's a pipe organ that he found in Alice Springs that he sampled. There's electric guitar parts. There's harmonies. Like everything else, everything else is him. I just basically gave it to him and said, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I've kind of got two ingredients and I feel like the song, the song is a living thing, but I don't know what to do with it from this point. So it's yours. With one exception where I gave a couple of directives, it was pretty much help this thing to work. So it's a very different songwriting process. The first song is very different to anything I've heard of yours before. So I presume that's his influence. Yeah, very much so. Firstly, it's it's me going, I don't know what this is or how to do it. Someone else, can you please? <laughs> Which is not, a, not at all in my um, habitual way of doing my life. Yeah, it was me going, look, I've ran out of tools in the toolbox. I don't know what this is. So I'll find someone who I respect and whose work I really, really love and just trust them with it. I'll, wow. you know. That's very unlike most musicians that I come across is, you know, it's their baby. They want to control every aspect of how it goes out. I think I've even seen you do that. Yeah, mostly I do do that. Yeah. This is a big change. Yeah, very much so. And I think moving from Tasmania to Darwin was a big change. So trying to write music that grew out of the top end was a real mm. challenge. And trying to make music that felt like the top end required someone who's been here for a lot longer than me and who's attuned to the feeling of a song less than the content of a song. So he's not he's not a lyrics guy. He sings sounds and then puts words where the, that sound like the sounds. You know what I mean? He, he he writes completely differently to me. We enter the room through two different polar opposite ends. And so, yeah, everything about it was, let's do this differently. If I was to try to do it the way I've done my other projects, it will sound like my other projects. And the top end is another country. As I've said, it's another country. It's in Australia, the idea, but anyone who comes here, Banjo Patterson came here and said, I can't write poetry for this place. <laughs> it needs a different poetry. And he's right. It's Everything about it is different. The weather is different. Thunderstorms crack on your roof. The thunderstorm hit my school oval two weeks ago. A lightning bolt hit my school for the third time in three years. I've seen a tree set on fire by lightning. Like It's such a normal thing to be that close to lightning. How, how often do you see lightning in the rest of Australia? But that's just the way it is. We live on an iron stone and so the lightning is there and the iron is here and everything in between, you've got to adapt. So it's a very different place. So it's no surprise to me that the music was going to be to sound different and be made in a different way. So I'm interested in how, because you, you were talking a bit before about that everyone needs to create and not just consuming everything. How do you think your music your and your creation, because it's poetry as well. You do poetry too. and you yeah. And you write blogs and... You're just constantly creating. Does that serve you well? Sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I have flow, as they talk about it, in mm. artistic circles where stuff just works. Sometimes things write themselves and sometimes inspiration comes and sometimes you chase after it with a big stick, I think is the quote. So I'm writing a song at the moment, which I can't find. It's around here somewhere. And I've been writing it since Cyclone Marcus, whenever that was. Start of March, end of February, maybe? I feel like an old person crossing the road with a walking frame. Like I'll sit down, cross out, breeze and write wind. <laughs> and then come back in two days and cross out wind and write breeze. Like It is the slowest process. But I've learned that sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. And this is, I'm fairly, fairly convinced that this is something that I'll use. But even if it's not, I still need to do it. I still need to get it out. For example, tonight before chatting with you guys, because I'm recording all this onto a 36 gig card. So I found this little card lying around. I wonder what's on this. Oh, 47 fully recorded songs. 
by me mm. that, have, that I've recorded at some point in the past four years, some of which I remember and some of which I don't even recognize. And there's like 14 tracks, different things that I've put in their harmonies and bass parts and stuff. And some of which I've used, but the overwhelming majority of which I haven't. But if I didn't record them, they would still be in my head. And that's too much noise. So just get it out and do nothing with it. That's fine. It's better than rattling around. So sometimes creativity is a wonderful thing that you hang on a wall. And sometimes it's just something you leave in the bottom drawer. But either way, it's you've got to get it out, eh? Hmm. Are we allowed to request um, to hear a not fully formed and broken song? or, or you... Yeah, yeah. I'll play you. I'll see if I can find the lyrics to this one that I'm writing. I'll see just if don't can... stumble over wind or breeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's the killer, that line right there. But for um, you know, a lot of musicians or, or people who might be perfectionists or something, you know, to share something which isn't fully formed and finished, because often you're sort of bearing your soul or something, so that could be a, a bit daunting. But you're you're happy to go right ahead and do this? Yeah. Daniel's like a prostitute. He's been sharing <laughs> for so long that it's just oh, thanks, Nick. That's no that worries. Means, means a lot coming from you. You put that on the uh, advertisement sleeve of your album. <laughs> Daniel is like a prostitute. Um, all right, I'll get myself tuned up. Do you want me to do harmonies? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Was that clear? All right. Rain falls like a guillotine up here. Better get yourself inside All the slaves have long been sold Before the arches turn to gold See the ships all sailing now To a world they've never seen But the weather don't all that's coming has already been Rain feels like a guillotine When the wind spins round gonna knock them down I left all the scenery back then Closed the drawbridge and went inside in a second story chamber I look down on what is mine Bleezes blow through the peasantry It's a Charles Dickens scene Cause the weather don't forget All that's coming has already been Rain falls like a guillotine When the wind spins round Gonna knock them down High above the rigging They're circling It's a murder of crows The captain's chest is open It's a bloody murder down below All the slaves shall sailors be 
and the ship is coming in. Cause the weather don't forget. All that's coming has already been. Rain falls like a guillotine. She'll take all the rings from your fingers. She'll take the rings from in your trees. She always winds up as a cyclone. She always starts out as a breeze. Though you swear to her that you can change, the girl's a steel machine. And that's an unfinished song. Yeah, well, I haven't sent the drum track to it yet, so... <laughs> yeah, it might be unfinished. I don't know. I feel like it, it needs something else in there, but that is a, a common feature of my life, which has nothing to do with music. I just generally come at life feeling like I'm missing something, you know, like I might not have enough. <laughs> uh-huh. Can't quite put my finger on it. Uh-huh. For those unaware, I was born with three fingers on my left hand, so... That's part of my inferiority complex. It has nothing to do with, you know, Freudian issues or anything like that. So um, your hands really are small. <laughs> Daniel J. Yeah, yeah they are. They are. See, I need, see, the J is compensating for my name not looking exciting enough. <laughs> the, the J adds the mystery. I, I loved, um, yeah, you put a post up on Facebook about the Simpsons stuff and about your eight fingers. <laughs> and I, that was... That was probably the funniest thing I've read in years. <laughs> yeah, because there, there was the controversy around Apu and, yeah. and yeah. people being offended. And I said, as an eight-fingered man, I'm offended by pretty much everything The Simpsons has ever done because they've got you know four fingers on each hand, which yep. I figured would be funny and offend hardly anybody because you know, there's not many people in my eight-fingered camp. I speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're going to offend the people that were offended. <laughs> yeah, that's the internet. Now, that's been a common theme for you. You speak for you ever since that teacher told you to, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I speak for me, but I speak for anybody. That sounds a little bit pompous, but I feel like anyone's story is as important as anyone else's. I think it's yep. the point of that. Yeah. You know, Mr. Ellis or little Daniel who's 12, what's the difference? You like it, I don't. Seriously, what is the difference? Yeah. There isn't one. You're just older. That's all it is. And you're respectfully hearing my opinion and I respectfully hear yours. So, yeah, sometimes I tell my story, sometimes... If it's cool with you, I'll tell yours. So that song, what was the story about there? It seemed to be about the seasons again, the rain in Darwin, which is a bit like the first episode of your podcast, which was very much about the weather, <laughs> but, but yeah. more more than that. It was about, uh, you talked a lot about mythology and truth and so on. So Home is where you understand the weather. 
Yeah. And if you don't understand the weather, everything is bewildering all the time. You know, what, why did that happen? Is that a thunderstorm I should be aware of? Why is that growing there? Why don't my plants grow? Why can't I dig holes? Why is it raining now? Is that a bad rain? It's flooding. It's flooding <laughs> bad. You know, you don't know anything. What's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. In Tasmania, it could be anything this afternoon. In the Territory, it's, it'll be the same tomorrow. Like, I don't even know why they have weather reports. 35 with a chance of rain in the wet season, 33 with, without a chance of rain for the rest of the year. Like, right. But they still have a weather report. So that song came about sitting through a cyclone in my lounge room whilst reading Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. So I was thinking about aristocrats and I was thinking about peasants and I was thinking, here I am in my potentially air-conditioned but rarely air-conditioned white-walled home with my two cars in the driveway and the luxury of bringing all my possessions inside away from the cyclone. And there's a bunch of people up here who have no home who live in the shelter of coals. I wonder where they are. What, Mm. What do they do during a cyclone? They know it's coming. I I seriously don't know what they're doing. And the funny thing is, who has the most to lose? Obviously, it's me. There goes my car. There goes my house. There goes my blessed internet. There goes my electricity. Those dudes were up and at them that afternoon. They had nothing to lose at all. And I thought, I'm pretty much an aristocrat up here. You know, this cyclone is like a guillotine coming for me. It's about to take everything. And there's nothing I can do about that. This is only a category two. Maybe the next one will be a four or a five. It is inevitable that the weather will get to me eventually. Up in Darwin, it's every 40 years. There's a big cyclone that just flattens the place and then you start again. And it's 44 years since Tracy. And that was only a two that we've just had. So maybe next year is a four or a five. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I was joining all those dots of guillotines and peasants and aristocrats and me being in my second story going, this is pretty funny being up here. This is a very new place for me to be having stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I don't mind if I don't have stuff. I've spent most of my life without it. So if I had to get in the car and drive south, I'd grab my wife and my kids and maybe my guitar or maybe not, and we'd be fine. So that's where the song came from. Cool. Are all the songs, all the eight songs that you've got coming for the, the new album, however you're releasing it, one way is as, as a podcast, are they all complete already? Or are you still in the recording yes. process? They're all complete. Yeah. So all, all, all the eight songs are finished. They're all completely produced and mixed and mastered and ready to go, burning a hole in my hard drive. Right. And how much time are you devoting to them writing and recording and preparing the whole rest of the podcast that goes around each episode? I don't know. Do you want to describe what it is that you're trying to do? Yeah. Or paint it? Because because I, I loved listening to it. It was like you were painting this picture that I I was just being taken to a place, you know, being taken to what you were describing. Yeah, that's that's what I want it to be. I want yeah. it to be I want it to feel like up here. Yeah. If if it's a story from up here, if it's a story from somewhere else, then same deal. I was just gonna say you also really pissed me off by just saying that I've never done a podcast, but I'll just do this and um <laughs> you're doing exactly yeah. what you wanted to do and uh, doing yep, it sometimes I sometimes so I win well. at life. I feel yeah. I did pretty well with that one. <laughs> I want it to feel like the place that the stories come from. And I had a, a bit of a, a realization, a few, a festival I played in South Australia, and I realized I make silence. That's what I do. When my music works and when my stories or poems or whatever, the room that I'm in, if it's two people or if it's 500 people, it becomes a, a safe kind of silence. It's not, I can't hear people thinking, but there's space enough for people to go wandering around in whatever they've got, you know, like Mr. Ellis's music classroom. They can They can think about cyclones or they can think about whatever the story, the song's about or whatever the story's been about. And by the end, I don't tend to get rupturous applause. 
I don't get hands waved in the air. I tend to get, you know, appreciative nods. It's more like, yeah, thanks for that. You know? They're too busy thinking to uh, respond with applause. Yeah, yeah. It's often that they don't have much to say, which I think is a good place to be. Yeah, well, it sounds like that picture you were talking about before of, you know, when you're sitting in a poetry recital, you sit there sometimes silent for three hours and you listen and you wait for that moment. So you're creating that space. Yeah. I don't know if it's what I do all the time. There's got to be a snappy way to sell it. I encourage contemplation. I foster contemplation, maybe. Well, that was the other thing I was interested in was, you know, one, I was asking you before how your music serves you, but yeah, how does it serve others? So, yeah. When I listen to these podcasts that you've made, the way you're able to craft sentences and convey emotions and pictures, it's spellbounding. It really is. Like, as I say, I was pretty cynical coming into it, just going, oh, I, I can't see how this works. And it works so well. And I, I was blown away. I really was. Like, I'm, I'm amazed with what you've been able to do to be able to turn, yeah, a song into a story. And, uh, like, really, I think normally you work the other way around. You turn a story into a song, whereas this way you've, yeah, you've done it the other way around. Yeah. It's brilliant. Anyone that hasn't listened to it, go and listen yep. to it. Yep. Like, the way I think about it is... Like, you know those TED Talks? Yeah. I love TED Talks mm. because I can't be bothered going and reading all the scientific stuff because uh, <laughs> it's too much. Whereas the TED Talks takes it and makes it relatable and interesting. Like, I think it's doing the exact same thing with life. You're taking life and you're condensing it down into these 20-minute uh, investigations into humanity, basically, and they're, they're fascinating. They really are. Well, thanks heaps, fellas. That means a lot. It can be a fairly isolated existence living in the top end. And having been up here for two years, I don't really have anyone that I regularly hang out with. I have family and I've got colleagues and I've got friends that I see out on the town or at a pub or, you know, but I don't, people don't pop in. I don't do dinner with anyone. I don't have anyone who lives nearby. I don't have band rehearsal. Everything that was normal in Tasmania is backwards and upside down. I can sometimes feel like I just live by myself <laughs> creatively and it's it's nice to, well, it's not nice, it's wonderful to be able to make something and have it come back to me like that. So oh. thanks heaps. I've lived in Tasmania for 30 years and I don't have dinner with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen to Daniel's podcast, become his patron. <laughs> when he works out how to release it so that you can pay for yeah. it, yeah, do that. And... Could you play us another song? I can play you one for sure. Let's see. What have I got? What have you got? Before you start, thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. We'll put up links where everyone can go to download your podcast and stuff like that. But are there places that people can go to see your stuff, visit you online, become your patron, yeah. whatever? Yeah. You can check me out on Facebook, Daniel James Townsend or Daniel J Townsend is probably the easiest way to find me. I'm on Bandcamp if you want to buy stuff and keep it. And the SoundCloud is the easiest place to find the podcast or it's in the iTunes podcast as well. All right. So this song is about? This is a song I wrote for the host of ABC Radio Darwin's afternoon show. It's called Song for Kate. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers, Dan. The desk was full of deadlines. Office full of noise. All the streets were streams with pebble people still as stone. My eyes were open, wide, hoping I could make the change. In my heart, I knew we had to go. So we drove 
Sometimes it's just time to go Palm trees and pandanus leaves Kick off shoes in Mindle Beach Tourists swarm in circles seeking Salty souvenirs But you and I are moving There's no place we need to be as the sunset turns to starry, starry night, I know why we moved up here. How we drove desert roads, we didn't know, we didn't know. Sometimes it's just time to go Now it's raining in the drive mm -hmm. I don't recognize these skies But there's a colder on the line From Alice Springs to tell me why Says he knows, I'm sure he knows. Radio, turn down low. Sometimes it's just time to go.